I'm Mark Schwakey. I'm here with Mark Evans, the marketing director of the Direct Line Group, uh, a group that incorporates many of insurance's most famous brands in the country. Um, so you're on the list again as marketing leader of the year for 2017, the Marketing Society uh, uh, accolade. Running this size group uh, and coming in as you did five years ago, was it? Yep. Big change. You've overseen big change. Can you talk a little bit about how you've uh, grown the marketing team here, both in size but also in stature? Yes, yeah, so I'm very flattered to be on Marketing Society's uh, Marketing Leader of the Year shortlist. Yeah. Shortlist. So there's seven other people who are you know, ex excellent marketers as well, so it's just a, you know, quite flattering to be on that list in the first place. Um, I mean, the process of change, I've been here five years, has been an incremental one. Uh, starting from a position where the marketing department was a, a bit lost. Probably you could describe it as known as a colouring-in department, like happens from time to time. Uh, but to rebuild capability and, and confidence and credibility um, for itself in a group which had really lost sight of marketing and customer and brands for quite a while. Uh, and so this was no rocket science job. It was really just about rebuilding the, the, the capability, the skills, getting some momentum culminating in the Winston Wolf relaunch, which was really the culminating moment uh, for the function and gave it, giving us belief that we could do these amazing things. Um, it was possible, and we could move our brands from a very commoditized place to a, a differentiated place, and the, you know, the results have been really excellent. So that momentum, success breeds success. The sorts of people and culture you find in financial services companies, though, I can imagine swinging confidence and fueling confidence into a marketing department and letting that spread throughout the business is quite a tough one because it takes 100% success all the time to convince somebody outside of marketing that there's something worthwhile looking at here. But you've talked about the Winston Wolf campaign as something that was almost like a lightning rod of... Uh, it, really, it really engaged people internally. Yeah, so I would say that having a marketing-oriented... CEO helps a lot. Mm -hmm. So the conversation about the legitimacy of marketing intent is, is not a difficult one to have with, with Paul Geddes. You know, he's a very well-established marketer in his own right. So it doesn't fall on deaf ears. Um, but there is no doubt that the Winston Wolf Creative and the internal comms that we did around that was the sort of the North Star of the Lightning Rod, as you say. It, it, you couldn't really make it up that the category had lost sight of the core category benefit for 20 years. In the end, insurance is about fixing things, and yet everybody had talked about price for, for so long. So in, in some regards, you sort of had some elements of the market were a bit broken, and certainly the brand was a bit broken, and certainly the marketing team were a little bit broken. And yet the unmet need was about fixing, and then we found a very dramatic way to bring that to life through Winston Wolf. But it was sort of that alignment was probably quite unique, and that enabled people to understand what it was they were doing in service of the brand, whether that's on the phones or even as a support function. And we had this lovely set of words, which was that we need people to be on it. Uh, and we had some amazing, we have some amazing anecdotes of where people have gone way above and beyond the call of duty because they understood what it mm. meant to be a fixer. Uh, and so that's provided a, sort of the thing that we can keep coming back to for our propositions, our communications, our culture, etc. I think it's got one of my favorite lines of, in advertising of all time, that campaign. Yeah. I don't know how many different permissions you had to get from the Pulp Fiction people to use that character, but when he 
turns around to the mother who's dreading the fact that her daughter's coming back from school in 40 minutes. Okay, yeah. The bunny covered yeah. in fudge yeah. and said, and, and the, the, the bunny is what it's called Roger, right? Yeah, that's right. We've yeah. got 40 minutes to get the fudge out of Roger. Yeah. Really, really. Um, but, but do you remember how that idea came about? Because it's, it's one of the great advertising um, lessons you find is when you see something brilliant, afterwards you get it. So insurance shouldn't be about price, and it shouldn't be about premiums, it shouldn't be about worry, it shouldn't be about mistrust. It should be about, you're there to help me solve problems when I've got a problem, and let's not ask any questions, come in and help me. What was the, what was the creative spark or moment? Do you remember the time, the moment that it happened where something fell into place and you knew you were going to use that Winston Wolf character? So it was a bit of creative brilliance from the agency Saatchi on the back of a really strong brief. The notion of fixing was yeah. sort of what we believe we needed to do. It was a creative leap of genius to come up with Winston Wolfe himself. It actually arose in a lift after a tissue session. Somebody said, I think I know what insurance is about. It's like being an account director in an ad agency. You just yeah. have to make it happen. Uh, uh, and then somebody said, yeah, it's a bit like that Winston Wolfe dude in, in Pulp Fiction. Amazing. And somebody sort of said, yeah, I'll write that down. We'll come back to that later. Yeah. But it, lo and behold, it became the core idea. In terms of the, the fudge out of Rog, as you remembered, those sort of touches were very much coming from Harvey Keitel himself, really? in fact. Insofar as he's very much um, attached to that character. Yeah. And so was, it always keeps us on our toes in terms of keeping authenticity. So when we drift from what the authentic expression of that character would be, he pulls us back in. You know, you can't use that name. That's West Coast, not East Coast, etc. So, I mean, that's pretty... Really? So he's committed. He's, he knows he's pretty committed to it. The other thing I would say in terms of lines of the advertising, um, there, there are times when you come across an ad line and you just know it's, it's got exactly what it takes. And we've got this notion of can your insurance do that is the end line, which will be seen millions of times yeah. every month. Uh, and in a market that had been commoditized, this is really genius because it calls into question people to ask, what have I got? Does it matter? Am I missing something? Which is not a, a notion that hadn't been around for 20 years. So as far as ad lines go, I think it will be proven to have been one of the more successful of recent times. And working with Harvey Keitel is one thing, but for many, still, I, su I suspect, working in insurance is a supremely unsexy thought. So it's not one of the big... I mean, you came from Mars, okay? Yeah. The, the confectionery brand, the consumer goods giant. Working in, 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 in insurance would be seen as unsexy. Why are these people wrong? Uh, well, they are fundamentally wrong. I, don't get me wrong. I didn't grow up as a boy dreaming of working in insurance, but then I didn't grow up as a boy dreaming of working in marketing. Yeah. Um, but insurance is quite fascinating. There's a number of nuances which makes it quite unique. It's the only sector in the world where you don't know the price or the cost of something at the point you sell it because you don't know what people are going to go and do in the world. It's annual contracts. Um, it's a grudge purchase. It's almost like a tax. Uh, and it's all the messiness of the service that goes around the brand, whereas FMCG is relatively sort of pure get it to the shelf of Sainsbury's and everything else is fine. Um, so it's, it's sort of the acid test of a marketer's capability because you've got to do all the traditional stuff but also bring the organization along and, and make that brand work across a whole panoply of, of different interfaces. So um, the other thing I would say is that insurance is probably one of the most likely sectors to be disrupted by Internet of Things, yeah. blockchain, driverless cars, uh, connected home, etc., uh, which means that... Um, you know, for, as a marketer, the challenge continues to evolve. So there's, there's estimates of between 20 and 90% of insurance premiums going to disappear with 
driverless cars because accidents yeah. won't happen anymore. I mean, it'll take a long time. But you know, with those sort of seismic existential ch- changes happening, you know, it's, it's constantly uh, the marketer's challenge to stay ahead of that. So how much of your job is looking ahead to the years when insurance is going to look totally different and trying to figure out what your best role as this group is going to be? So I, I guess we, uh, we've got a, a, the bread and butter to do day by day, but we make the space and time for that to be agitators of our future. And, and, and by that, I mean sort of really trying to bring that future forward and into the business. So, for example, we launched uh, a new proposition uh, called Fleet Lights last year. And, and this is drones with uh, lights lighting the way for people and cars to give them safe journeys. I mean, this is sort of sci-fi stuff. Um, and it's a bit like Lexus and the hoverboard. This is a, a vision of the company that we want to be, with the distinct undertone being that we're moving from a process of restitution, fixing things when they go wrong, to a service for prevention. We're going to become a prevention company, stopping things happening yeah. before they've actually happened. You know, Minority Report 2054 is sort of happening today. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we have to agitate to bring that future forward. I talk about igniting the business of tomorrow today, Ignition is a sort of the, you know, the mojo that marketing provides. The business is metaphorical and practical, so what the products, but also the ways of working. But tomorrow, today, is about bringing the future into the business. I mean, I read about the fleet lights thing, and I wondered, like, like I did when I read about the Amazon drones thing and the, the driverless cars thing five years ago, you know, you wonder sometimes whether how much of this is PR gimmickry and how much of this is genuine, innovative thinking being released in drip, drip, drip feed to the world to show this is the way the world's going. I mean, it sounds in the same way as you want the NHS to, to, to move faster in its, in, its, um, in its evolution from an institution that helps you when you're poorly to a wellness yeah. institution. You're, you're, you're hoping to become something that can just help us before problems happen. That's, that's a big thought. Yeah. So PR gimmickry, uh, in, all, in all honesty, we had a number of people internally saying... What are marketing up to, brackets again? Yeah. Um, but the reality is we welcome that because that drives the conversation about what the future might be. Uh, we describe that as the first in a range of initiatives. Number two and three initiatives will both land this year, and they're all in the space of mashing up emerging and established technologies to do things that nobody's ever thought of before, all towards that prevention space. But, but, but in a very real way, we've had lots of interest from search and rescue organizations and so on to make that concept something that, that is practical and real. So it's not on the shelves now. You can't go to Alfreds and buy one. But it talks to what will be in the future. And I suppose then you've got your eye um, as close as anyone, if not closer, on the evolution of what consumers want. Um, You know, we've been through almost several stages of an an evolved consumer driven by a demand for personalization, a demand for better experience, a demand for a genuine relationship that affects them and helps them and services them before we start talking about price. You go through years and years of trying to establish trust and then some genuine value. Um, does, it, does buying insurance still... How, how do people buy insurance these days? Does it still come down to price or is brand got a... What with Winston? Does brand still have a big uh, place in people's hearts? So we think that we see the market differentiating after many years of commoditizing. We think we've been a catalyst for that. We see others following our tactic, if you yeah. like, our strategy. Um, and we, we welcome that because a rising tide floats all boats. But in the end, there are many people who still buy solely on price and maybe don't even really know what they're buying. Um, it's, it's true, it happens. 
But it's a classic case of segmentation. There are many customers who have maybe had bad insurance experiences in the past or have more to insure or just understand the inherent value in good insurance. And there, there are plenty of those whose needs were completely unmet for many, many years. So Direct Line talks to the people who kind of get insurance um, and want a direct relationship and understand that that's going to serve them best when the time comes. Because the, the tragedy is many people are buying insurance that is going to let them down and make a bad situation worse come the time. Um, so there's, there's plenty of customers that Direct Line talks to. And we were declining at 16% in 2013, and we grew 31% in 2016. So we think that we find sort of differentiated branding and insurance is alive and well. And I, I, you and I were talking earlier. You, you gave me some real um, uh, evidence for what seems to have been an incredible five-year turnaround. So I, I actually thought Direct Line has always had, um, maybe, maybe it's just the way I, I viewed it, but I, I, I would have imagined even five years ago that Direct Line enjoyed a great deal of brand awareness, a great deal of consideration. But you're, you said that you've, you've, you've got a 40% engagement uh, level on part of your market up to an 80% engagement level. What does that actually mean in real terms? So we, this is an internal measure of how engaged are people with the organization. It's a proxy for how they'll perform, whether they'll stay, whether they, you know, et cetera. Uh, and we had the lowest scores in the, the company in 2013. So we've worked very hard to reskill people, um, generate belief and pride, maybe doing things that they were already doing before, but yeah. to sort of put them into context. And that's been tremendously important for us. And the obvious question is sort of how could it have got that bad? But of course, there was the financial crisis, which put marketing in financial services a bit sort of to the side. Um, and, and also, insurance and service-based industries, you can lose sight of the customer because there's a high degree of auto-renewal, high retention rates. In consumer goods, you're only as good as your last sale of baked beans or toothpaste or something. Here, you can afford to be complacent mm. because there's a lot of annuity revenue. And so for those couple of reasons, it, marketing had probably been in the, in the shadows and needed to find itself, again, come out of the shadows and fulfill that leadership function that every good organization needs of marketing. And, of course, you're evolving product as well. There was a, a story this morning that I read that... Um, regarded a general insurance product unveiled with an unlimited payout. Does that, is that a new thing? Is that That's right, yeah. Recently launched, uh, very recently launched uh, with our Direct Line Select brand. This is sort of in the same market as Hiscox uh, for uh, uh, a higher-end customer with more um, greater value to, to insure. But, it, but in general, we have been, I think, very good at launching new propositions that break some of the dysfunction in the market to evidence that, that we are the best. I mean, it's a classic, we've got a better mousetrap, really. But in terms of we can get your car back within seven days, we'll get your phone back within eight hours, we'll get you a plumber within, within three hours, and so on and so forth. So all the, the things that let consumers down in their moment of need, we've completely re-engineered all our supply chain and back-end and systems and processes, whereby we can just be better in that moment of truth. So that's uh, one of many, and there are many more to come, because we think that's really fueling the the growth of direct line because people will ask can our insurance do that and no others can and if you we've, we've talked a, a little bit about products and we've talked a little bit about um uh, belief in you know refueling marketing we've talked a little bit about message you know some of the great ads that you've been um involved with building here but tell me about the channels how do you reach this new consumer that's always on the go doesn't have time so if you can explain your product clearly enough uh, because they're quite complex, some of these instruments. And you've got some really great messaging around it. 
but you still need to capture new audiences where they are. So how does that work? How does it work, for example, with um, building new customer bases and then building loyalty and retention through mobile, for example? Yeah, so I mean, I think the fundamentals of marketing are still the same. There are some new channels, which are great in the marketer's toolkit, um, but it's sort of keeping these things in balance. There's a big conversation right now that marketers should be able to code websites, and they, I don't agree with that because somewhere in the team there needs to be that capability, but marketers should fundamentally stay agnostic to channels, be aware of them and utilize them, but, but, but stay agnostic. Um, so for us, I mean, mobile uh, is probably slightly underdeveloped in insurance because it's a complicated purchase. Uh, and so people often will call us. They may go all the way through to buy and then call us to actually pay. Um, it can sometimes be a, a high amount. Because they want that human interaction. That, that human interaction. So Reassurance. Be, that's it. Bear in mind, uh, uh, you know, the average 21-year-old may be able to code their own website, but they really don't know the first thing about insurance. So for us, getting the whole brand promise to work across multi-channel is really important. But having said that, we still use mobile as the sort of the torchbearer of the customer experience we should have. Um, so starting increasingly to think mobile first. So, for example, we do a lot of, um, it's a lot of telematics policies, that the sort of the black box or mobile app to um, uh, measure people's driving and reward them for being good drivers. Yeah. And, and that's really a sort of a mobile-only product because they consume it and use it purely on their, on their phone and when they're driving. Uh, we've also just launched a, uh, a new brand called Shotgun, which is to help people through the first 1,000 miles of driving. You're eight times more likely to kill somebody in the first year. Uh, and you know, this is, just generates claims of tens, 20 millions of pounds. Tragically, people put into wheelchairs for the rest of their lives. Um, so to get people to believe, as soon as they pass their test, that good driving is cool, as opposed to currently, sadly, bad driving is seen as cool, requires a complete mindset shift. So you know, advertising in Coronation Street is frankly pointless. It's got to be mobile only, uh, and so that's, that's what we've done. It's all based on using influencers and a mobile-only experience. So, so for, a, um, for a modern marketer like yourself, mobile is just a channel, albeit an, uh, an exciting new opportunity to collect data and have conversations and, and create engagement, but for you it's still very much about the central, what, are we, what have we got, what do we want, who do we want to talk to, what have we got to sell, how are we going to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, I think there is an overlay to that, which is that, you know, if you read Byron Sharp and you talk about mental and physical availability, Facebook and Google, Facebook probably particularly, is it, like TV has always been in terms of fast, getting a big message out, vast to a wide audience. Um, new social channels, which really only live on the mobile phone, um, you know, are, are a way to get reach and get mental availability. Mm. So uh, if you subscribe to Byron Sharp, you would say, you know, we've got to take notice of these channels. But in the end, we find TV in rude health. It is our number one performing media line. And so it's about just having that balance and using the right testing to make sure that we stay agnostic and make good commercial decisions. And th I, think, I think it'll be the same as the future evolves into more AI, more chatbots, more um, using messaging through SMS. It'll just be about making sure that the, the brand proposition is there and the customer feels well served well-placed and, 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 and that everything is accessible and easy. Yeah, and, and it's easy to get carried away with new technology. I think you've got to be sort of respectful, mindful. But for us, we've done a lot of fixing of sort of very basic customer experience stuff over the last three years and seen a 13% increase in NPS, which is astonishing. I mean, it's really, really, really proud of that. Um, and that's, you know, frankly, just getting the basics right. So 
I think you've got to sort of build these up, things up uh, um, from a foundation level, and to just to sort of be seduced by the latest cool and sexy thing um, is, is not in itself uh, you know, a good thing. And something I read in Marketing Week recently, my old rag, um, that, you were, that you were talking about was a, ref, um, a, a response to something we both saw um, where a well-known, a well-known marketer talked about marketers and marketing needing to be whole-brained and that marketers needed to start blending the, the, the traditional creative strategic storytelling skills with the digital and data-led skills that, that are, are all pervasive in uh, measurable marketing these days. Um, and you had a really interesting response. You sort of gently, gently pushed back. What was your response? So, yeah, so I mean, this notion of sort of being whole-brained as a marketer and being brilliant at both the left side and the right side, I know that's slightly a cliche, but the, the, the essence of the argument was that everybody needs to become more digital as marketers and everybody needs to be able to do left brain and right brain. And I, and I suppose the great success we've had here has been a lot about tapping into the potential of the individual and letting them be the best that they can be at what they're good at. Uh, and so specifically when it comes to left brain and right brain, I think it's true that both have got to be present in a marketing team. But the point is it's at an aggregate level rather than expecting every single individual to be both amazingly creative and amazingly analytical. Uh, and um, this notion sort of comes to the fore with the big conversation emerging about neurodiversity. Um, and, and as I've said, a couple of people in the team came forward and said, we think we're missing a trick here. The, the diversity conversation that hasn't happened yet is about the tapping into the talents of people on the extreme right brain, you could say, with dyslexia. My daughter's dyslexic, so I could really resonate with this. Um, and on the extreme left brain in terms of autism, uh, Asperger's, and so on. Uh, and in a world that's sort of being mechanized, AI is going to take over all the repeatable precision stuff in the middle. Innovation is going to come from the edges, and therefore absolutely appreciating that people can be one and not at all the other in terms of left brain, right brain, I think is a really sort of breakthrough thought. In all honesty, it's still emerging about what we do with that. We celebrated National Autism Day last month. Um, this is an established part of our diversity agenda. We're starting to talk more openly about it, and we want to figure out what that means from a recruitment and management point of view. But the list of inventions in the world that have come from autistic people and dyslexic people shows that the breakthrough, the differentiation, the edge, is probably going to come from people who aren't whole-brained. I loved, I loved your response was about, um, was about a marketing leader should be able to carry and hire and recruit and train a whole-brained marketing team um, because we've all been challenged in the, in, the, in the past five years with, you know, those of us who, are, who can look at the clouds and come up with a Winston Wolf connection just like that are not the same, don't have the same skills as, uh, as somebody who can get buried quietly into a spreadsheet of numbers over a matter of hours and crunch and crunch and crunch until they come up with the exact right decimal point. It's, um, they're two different skills that both have fed into what you've described as, a, as an immense turnaround for the business. And indeed, as I look out over the, the, the marketing floor here, a really buzzy, confident, active, and effective marketing department. It, it comes from a logic which was described to us about a year ago. I think we were already on it, but it sort of explained it to us um, with somebody who was a leading sports psychologist um, and behind a lot of the success that England cricket had at one point in time. Um, and he, he was saying that to build a world-class team, you don't want everyone to be really good at everything. You just want to understand what's an individual's super strength, their sort of spike, and make them better at that. And that kind of everything else will fall into line. 
And so we've done quite a bit of work around people's spikes, their purpose, what it is that they're really brilliant and unique at to fuel that because then the whole thing is more likely to be a world-class team. So it's, I mean, never perfect, but that's the ethos that runs through, is that everyone's got a bit of brilliance that can bring it out. What's also interesting, though, is that the, the well, um, the fully merited discussion on diversity that's going on in business right now, I haven't seen it quite touch this area. Mm. Uh, so it was, it, was, it was new to read and, and, and welcome, I think, very, very compelling thoughts. Um, thank you for your time, Mark Evans. Uh, we hope to see you soon. Pleasure.